get ready to squirm, flinch and scratch as we burrow into the mind of Dr. Terry Miller, just like one of the parasitic creatures he studies in his day job as parasitologist and head of biodiversity and geosciences at Queensland Museum Network. Tapeworms, ticks, head lice, we're talking about creatures with a serious PR problem. Maybe Terry can convince you and me, Laura Cantrell, museum graphic designer and part-time podcast host, that they're not so bad after all. And we'll get the lowdown from Terry about what's happening in the world of bio and geo across the network. Terry, what is a parasitologist? Uh, A parasitologist is somebody who studies parasites. What's interesting about parasites is they encompass about 50% of all life on Earth. Some people, you know, including myself, consider our children parasites, but, you know, you know, just broadly, you know, parasitic way of life is part of the vast majority of the biodiversity we see on the planet, but most people don't realize how diverse or extraordinary parasites are. Well, parasites aren't the most popular organisms. Are there any benefits of them? Yeah, what would the world be like without them? Well, we wouldn't have the diversity of animal life that we have on the planet. So a lot of the species diversity we see, particularly in coral reef systems and rainforests, are driven by the parasite faunas that infect um, the various organisms within an ecosystem. So anywhere from your ground snails, um, marine snails, all the way through up to the fish and marine mammals that feed on them. have So all this competition and battle for you know, parasitism and how it's um, impacted on organisms over time has had a big influence on the diversity of life we see on the planet. And do you have a favourite of studying parasites terrestrial on land or in the marine world? Well, my my background is marine. So I initially studied at the University of Nebraska back in the US, which is about as far from the ocean as you can get in the world. But they used to have one of the world's top marine parasite labs, which is a very strange place to have one. But the researchers there used to go out and collect from all over the world and bring them back. So I fell in love with marine parasites there came to Queensland um, years ago to study my PhD on coral reef parasites. Um, so I'm a bit biased towards the marine realm, but yeah, that's that's my preference. Anyhow. Well, it's a good place to come and dive in off the coast of Queensland. Yep. Can you share some interesting facts about parasites? Instead of facts, I think I'll go into a story because um, something that Queensland locals you know, found amazing when I was here working as a postdoc previously is that there's a local fish that people catch called the butterbrim. And it's this diamond-shaped small fish you can get in Morton Bay, and it's very common. What's really interesting about this fish is that when people go to fillet it and have have it for dinner and cook it, when you heat the flesh up, it actually melts and turns into a buttery consistency. So this common name of the fish actually um, is due to a parasite that lives in the muscle tissues um, called myxozoans, which they form these little cysts inside the muscle that are microscopic, and you can't see them when the fish is alive or after you've just... Um, finish fishing it but as soon as you heat it up it releases an enzyme that breaks down the muscle so it turns the flesh a buttery consistency and it's not harmful to humans but obviously you know if you're trying to eat this fish fillet it's quite disgusting when you have something buttery in front of you but it's a really cool example of a common name of a fish that's actually derived from the parasite faunas that they carry which are very prevalent in Morton Bay so it's an interesting little fact that people don't know and there's a few few fish in some of these parasites like the mixozoans do have commercial impact in other fisheries and so prior to coming to the Queensland Museum, I was working in um, Western Australia for the fisheries department over there in aquatic animal health. So a lot of our work there was diagnosing some of these parasite, viral and bacterial diseases that affect the aquaculture industry and wild fisheries. Have you got a favorite parasite species? The mixozoans are you know, rapidly becoming my favorite group just because of the, the extraordinary nature of these things. They're actually closely related to jellyfish. So they're what we call cnidarians in the scientific speak. They're um, 
highly evolved, effectively parasitic jellyfish that have lost a lot of their characters. The, the little spores that they produce and have inside the organism is very similar to a jellyfish nematocyst that fires off. So when you get a jellyfish sting, it's a very similar process. So they're, they're really extraordinary animals. They live in fish as a host, but also in marine worms and polychaetes or annelids that live in the uh, marine environment. So they have a two-host life cycle, very extraordinary creatures. And the diversity is um, at least as diverse as the fish fauna around the world, if not double or triple that, an extraordinary diversity. Do they live in the muscle of the fish or can they live in organs as well? Yeah, it, d- it depends on the species. Some target just the muscle tissue, but others live in gills, for instance, or various organs within the host. And some um, form cysts that you can't see um, with your naked eye. Others form really dramatic um, cysts in the flesh. So when you go to fillet a fish, you may open it up and see thousands of these white little dots inside the meat of the fish, which is obviously off-putting to somebody who wants to eat that. And there's a a species we get in tuna around Australia that often comes up and we get, particularly when I was in the diagnostic labs in Western Australia, we would have people go, what is this horrible thing that's infesting my fish? And we would tell them the backstory to it and get them excited. But these, for the most part, don't have any human health implications. And the fish, for the most part, can live relatively happy with some of these parasites. Others, it does have a pretty significant impact on. Well, you've had quite a career shift. You're now the head of uh, biodiversity and geosciences at Queensland Museum. What does your role entail? I'd like to say I'm a scientist still, but um, more of a desk jockey and a manager these days. I've got about 35 staff at the moment in my team. So right now I'm starting to get in and just, you know, managing the program, all the research activities, the public engagement. But someday I'll be back in a microscope doing some more parasitology research. And my background was in parasite biodiversity, as I mentioned um, when I came back to Queensland. So we were studying coral reef parasites. And because Queensland's one of the most mega diverse states within Australia. It's a really good place when you're out looking for species and species discovery. During my PhD alone, we described 64 new species of parasites. And, you know, that's just starting to scratch the surface of the actual diversity that's out there. And so there's plenty of work to do in that space. What are some of the other fields of science that the other scientists work in? Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting for me to get my head around because we've got paleontologists. Um, we have one at the Museum of Tropical Queensland who's studying marine reptiles. So you're old plesiosaurs um, that he's pulling out of western Queensland, which is really amazing. We've got a vertebrate paleontologist here in Brisbane. Uh, we have a paleobotanist. I think Australia's only paleobotanist um, at the moment at the Queensland Museum, which is really exciting. So we have the diversity of the geoscience crew all the way through to the coral reef scientists. Um, you know, we have coral taxonomists and coral ecologists through to the terrestrial teams. So all the terrestrial insects, which are incredibly diverse as well. We have ant experts all the way through to butterfly and marine vertebrate and terrestrial vertebrate people. So yeah, it's for me, it's really exciting just to have that diversity of sciences and, and just getting my head around all of the research activities the group's been doing has been really fun. Well, talking about research activities, what are some of the activities that are underway right now? Yeah, there's one of the projects I'm excited about is this, what we call Coral Bank Project, um, which is funded through 
through Project Dig, which is a partnership we have with BHP. And it's this Coral Bank project in particular is looking at resolving some of the taxonomic issues we have with corals currently in Australia, but also around the world. So we just recruited a biosystematist position, which is effectively a bioinformatics person who looks at genomes and large genetic data sets and tries to tease out relationships and evolutionary history of a lot of these organisms. What's interesting is the Queensland Museum, you know, effectively wrote the textbook on coral taxonomy years ago, and that was primarily based on morphological characters and structures of the skeletons of corals. But the genetics are changing that story pretty dramatically, and it's similar to other groups of organisms. But this Coral Bank project, we're taking a lead um, in using genomics tools to try and resolve the taxonomy. And so, for example, some of the species we thought were widely distributed on the Great Barrier Reef turn out to be complexes of species. So you may have what we thought was one may end up being five different species with highly endemic restriction zones within the reef that they live. So obviously from a management standpoint, this information is quite useful to the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority and others who are managing these ecosystems because knowing that diversity and how endemic and localized some of these groups are is really important for protecting them. So that's an exciting project going forward. Another project that just got funding last week is a grant that our um, senior curator of invertebrates, uh, Chris Burwell, got, which is looking at detecting invasive ant species using artificial intelligence. So Chris is an expert in some of these taxonomy and systematics of um, invasive ant species around Australia. And what they're doing is they're taking some high-resolution images of known species that we have in our collection and training an artificial intelligence software program to be able to help field officers who are out, you know, going and hunting for invasive species to either use a smartphone or a small DSLR and be able to take images and see if the artificial intelligence can identify them in the field instead of having a taxonomic expert like Chris. So he's, he's he might be doing himself out of a job in some respects, but it's a really cool project to look at and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how well they can train this artificial intelligence software to go. So I suspect that scientific study has changed a lot since you first began studying? Yeah, I, I like to think I'm middle-aged, but I'm starting to feel old now because the technology, particularly in the genomic space, is rapidly changing. So when I was a student, we would sequence sections of genomes that might be, you know, a thousand base pairs long, and we thought that was exciting. And now you can effectively plug a device into a laptop and generate a whole genome in a day. So you go from what we call the old school sequencing into the next generation sequencing and, you know, the ability to create genomes from organisms in the field very rapidly is, you know, that technology and then being able to analyze and process that data is rapidly changing. So I used to be on top of the field and now I'm relying on my team to train me up and learn those skills. Well, I think we're going to wrap up the podcast with our museum in a minute rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Terry? I think so. Okay, here we go. Favorite collection item? Ooh. Oh, that's not good. Uh, whale. What year was the Queensland Museum founded? Oh my gosh. Uh, 1857. When you were a child, did you dream of working at a museum? I wanted to be an astronaut, actually. Yeah. How many objects and specimens make up the state collection? Uh, 470 million. Favourite exhibition, past or present? Uh, sea monsters. For sure. Which is more iconic, Mudabutasaurus or Mephisto? Ooh, Mudabutasaurus. Biased. Would you prefer to work in the field or in the office? Oh, field, <laughs> absolutely. Indiana Jones or Jurassic Park? Indiana Jones. Favourite animal in wild state? Cassowary. I think I know the answer to the next one. Biodiversity and geosciences or cultures and histories? Oh, bio and geo mm -hmm. for sure. What is Queensland Museum's most visited exhibition? Oh, probably Lost Creatures because it's been up so long. 
What percentage of state museum collection is on display? Ooh, a very small percentage, unfortunately. We're trying to change that. Well, you know, I know that many people don't realise that the museum has a number of expert scientists on staff in the fields of biodiversity and geosciences, and it's been great to get some insight into that team today. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for joining us on the Museum Revealed podcast. What did you uncover this episode? If you're interested in learning more, view the show notes linked below. You can follow Queensland Museum on social media at QLD Museum or head to our website at qm.qld.gov.au. While you're there, sign up to our e-news list to find out what's on at the museum. Until next time, stay curious.